0: A controversial start to the MotoGP season. The championship finally settles down in Spain. Luckily, nothing controversial ever happens at Jerez. Welcome a Bike Life.
1: Let's go!
0: Yes, this is episode 58 of Bike Live here on Modspot 101 as we look back on absolutely nothing of consequence that happened last weekend. So we're (laughs) going to turn the clock back a little bit further than that as we look back at some of the classic moments that have taken place in MotoGP history around the Jerez circuit, the host of this weekend's Spanish Grand Prix, the start of the European season in MotoGP. So we will look back through the archives to talk about some of the great moments that have happened at that circuit. Uh, some more controversial than others over the course of the next hour and a half or so We'll also talk about a lot of the big news that has broken since we last spoke here on bike life um, As the pieces of the puzzle for next year's rider grid lineup are beginning to fall into place particularly at KTM um, And we will also talk to you to about a wild carder in the world Superbikes at Donington Park this month and a famous name returning to British Superbikes this very weekend all of that to come over the course of of the next hour and a half. This is episode fifty-eight, and once again, I'm your host Louis Sonubi. Joining me once again, it's Andre Harrison. Welcome, Dre. Dab.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Um, good to be back as always. Um, sadly, Bex is unavailable. She's at the darts, so and now I hate her even more than usual. Um, I'm, very, I'm dev- devastated by this news. But let's get back on this show where you belong, damn it. I promise I'll be nice. But um, yes, absolutely nothing of consequence happened this week. So I actually genuinely struggled to think we were going to have a show this week. But here we are. And there's three of us on here. Who, who guessed it? Yeah, more on that in a second. A little inside note, by the way, to those of you uh,
0: listening to this show. Um... I went onto Twitter this week because I was struggling to think of what we were going to talk about on this show, and I went on to Twitter and saw Dre's Twitter feed where he was asked, "Oh, people have been asking me what we're going to talk about this week. We have a plan." Dot dot dot. So I thought, okay, I'll listen to this week's recording and what I wanted to see what that plan might be. And he genuinely says, "We don't know what we're talking about." Thought, <laughs> like, so, 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 so Dre was sort of yeah, Dre was trying to sort of kid you there. We genuinely had no idea um, what we're going to talk about until sort of last night. Uh, When we came up with a plan Um, and actually we didn't know we were gonna have three people on the show until around ten minutes ago Mm. Um, where we were chatting away on Discord, and uh, the following voice uh, realized that nothing happened last weekend, so he actually hadn't missed anything and could quite easily contribute to this show. So we welcome back Ryan King.
2: (laughs) Hey, guys. It's fun to be here. And uh, there was a little teaser that I was going to be on the show, because if you you watch the Spanish – if you watch the Azerbaijan Grand Prix closely, you saw at the opening lap a Spaniard magically went from four wheels to two. And just like Fernando Alonso – I'm talking about two wheels this week. Hey. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's the only time Dre will ever cheer the mention of Fernando Alonso's name. <laughs> I know, right? But um, but yeah, plenty to talk about, despite the fact that nothing really happened last weekend. Uh, but before we do that, let's tell you about the various places you can find us. Starting on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, at motorsport underscore 101. Our personal handles, at lewissoddaby23, at harrison101hd, and at Ryan Eric King with two Ks. Um, Our YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Our website is motorsport101.net where you can find plenty of written content over there. Um, And if you like us so much that you want to back us financially, um, you can back us on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 where $5 access or $5 backing earns you early access um, to both of our weekly podcasts, both this show and Mothersport 101, $10 backing earns you even earlier early access because you can listen to these shows live, um, as Henry Chapman is doing right now. Uh, and as King was going to do before he uh, impulsively decided to join in on the show. <laughs> uh, so um, so yeah, if you back us at the $10 <laughs> level, you can listen live to these shows as they are recorded. That includes... Um, another double helping at Motorsport 101 uh, that took place this very week. And uh, I have two people who can actually tell me all about it. All focused largely on what happened in Azerbaijan. That focuses, uh, or that features in both shows, Dre. Starting mm. with the um, the second annual Azerbaijan shit show in Formula 1.
1: Of course. Like, it's, it's become like a unique tradition at this point. It's like, only three things in F1 are certain. Death, taxes and baku everything goes to shit um and we have it again this time by the time this episode goes out the episode 136 as well one will also be out and that'll be shunt wind and fire and uh, going by the cover which is basically daniel ricardo trying to mount max verstappen's car at 200 miles an hour you can probably guess what the main focus is mm, yeah yes. all the formula one action from baku um f- you know me Crying over my beloved Sebastian getting it wrong after the restart, and actually me not being able to be sad about it because Valtteri's wheel falls off. Great. Thanks a bunch, Valtteri. <laughs> you stole all my sympathy points for the weekend. God damn it. Um, but obviously, all of that. Hulkenberg in the wall, Alonso dodging cars left right and center and somehow finishing seventh despite going into the pits on the opening lap minus half his tires um all of that and some of the big f1 users one including the 2019 regulation changes are all going to be in episode 136 later on this weekend i think actually probably early next week most likely the monday will also be episode 137 congratulations as well i'm just gonna check my twitter timeline to dom at spitzfires 2007 actually going for the naming contest i had out there Castle and the Thrill will be the episode name for episode 137, talking all about Formula 2 in Baku, including George Russell winning a race from 13th on the grid, and yet more Formula 2 carnage, as well as the Formula E e in Paris, and a bunch of IndyCar news as well, looks apparently Danica Patrick's back, it's kind of a big deal in the US don't know why don't ask me but um all of that and much much more on a double header of motorsport 101 over the next few days listen if you haven't already oh the paris e pre does this mean king sings la Marcia
2: again? Ooh. oh uh, no no it's just me throwing out complaints about the paris e pre not being a good race okay <laughs> that's all it's cool. a complete opposite in episode <laughs>
0: 137 yeah that's to come later this week basically when I've got around to editing it which will be later on tonight uh, right then let's get cracking with well actually I told a lie in the introduction to this show because some motor racing did actually happen on two wheels last weekend and I'm not talking about Fernando Alonso's uh, recovery from the back of the field in Azerbaijan um, because there was actually some junior world championship racing taking place last weekend at Valencia the CEV. Uh, Moto3 Junior World Championship. So let's quickly round you up on the results of that that took place last weekend. Um, And a victory apiece um, for the Spaniards, Sergio Garcia. No, not that one. Not the green one of green jacket fame. Um, And Raul Fernandez uh, of the Angel Nieto team. They took a victory apiece. Fernandez leaves Valencia as the championship leader um, because Garcia failed to score in race two of the weekend. Uh, Fernandez takes the championship lead from the Italian Manuel Pagliani, who won the opening race of the season. Uh, at Estoril last month uh, Fernandez leads, leads in by 10 points Yuki Kuni, the Japanese for the Asia Talent team uh, kept up his consistent start of the season he's been 4th or 5th in every race so far and he's 3rd in the championship just ahead of Somkiap Chantra at the Thai, um, who is 4th in the points Garcia with his win is 5th ahead of Aleish Vu who was 2nd in race 1 on the Marinelli Snipers team Uh, He completes the top six in the Moto3 Junior World Championship. Uh, In Moto2, which is the European Championship, a double victory for the Swiss Jesco Raffin, following up his victory in Estoril Race 2 with victory in Valencia. Um, He is racing for the junior version of Sam Lowe's Moto2 team, the Swiss Innovative Investors squad. Um, And he took the championship lead with his victory. He is now nine points clear of the Spaniard Augusto Fernandez, with Dimas Eki Pratama, the Indonesian, in third. Um, Second place in the race in Valencia went to the AGR rider Edgar Pons, who was in the Moto2 World Championship last season. Uh, Those were his first points of the season. Um, The most dramatic incident of the weekend, though, took place in the support class, the European Talent Cup, which is a single-spec Moto3 class, all on Hondas, and a horrendous pilot that brought out the red flags at the end of that race. Uh, Thankfully, all the riders escaped a serious injury. That handed the win to Francisco Gómez. Um, which moved him to into the provisional championship lead, but he lost that championship lead by finishing on the 11th in race two. The Italian Matteo Pataccia um, won race two and took the championship lead as a result by one point. Uh, Barry Baltus, the Belgian who won the opening race of the season in Estoril, uh, he drops to third in the points just ahead of Julian Giral, uh, who rides for the Estrella Galicia junior team. Next round of those classes um, take place in Barcelona in the case of Moto 2 and the ETC uh, the Moto3 Junior World Championship, though, they will be supporting the French Moto Grand Prix at Le Mans in two weeks' time. So keep an eye out for that. Their races are streamed live on YouTube. Right then, let's uh, cover the big news of the week, which focuses on MotoGP, because they are back this weekend. And it's the first European round of the season, uh, and as we've been seeing uh, in recent editions of this show on Bike Live, the uh, picture of the following season's grid lineup gets confirmed earlier and earlier With every passing season, ahead of the fourth race of 2018, KTM have already confirmed their lineup for 2019. Yes, you all thought it was some sort of coincidence that King was on this week, didn't you? Uh, KTM have confirmed their rider lineup. And um, yeah, let's go straight to the KTM correspondent of Bike Life. Uh, King, your lineup for next season is Paul Espargaro and Joan Zarco. Happy with it?
2: Yes, I think it's it's a solid lineup for where the team uh, is aiming to be at next season
0: which is a kind of a step up from where they are this season. They're, they're touching the top 10 at the moment in terms of race results. They'll be looking to try and get into sort of regular top six, as I would have thought, um, next season, Drake. Um, from, from Joan Zarco's point of view, because he's the big headline news, that he is joining KTM. We'll talk about Paul in a moment, who's staying put uh, at KTM. Um, but what does this move tell you about Joan Zarco? Because it sounds, if we believe what we hear in the, uh, in the general motorsport press, that Joan Zarco... KTM wasn't his only option, should we put it that way? But KTM's the option he's yeah. gone with.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it looks like going into um, Gavin Emmett that uh, Zarko turned down a seat at arguably his team in the sport right now, and that is the Repsol Honda team. Uh, apparently, Honda did give him an offer. So, um, whether it would be for the Repsol team or whether it would be for um, the LCR team, because they still have not confirmed Taka for next year, who knows? But if... The, the fact that Zarco was somewhat hinting um, at not being Mark Marquez's teammate makes me think it came from Repsol Honda itself. Um, and I have to say, that's a very brave move from Johan Zarco to turn that down. Um, openings at that team don't happen very often. We Obviously, we've seen Marquez is the best rider on the planet right now, and you, know, you throw that in there in combination with um, Pedrosa, who is an 11-year veteran of the team, um, I'm more surprised that Honda was like, yeah, we're going to get rid of him. No, we don't mind, we don't mind curbing him to get Johan Zarko, um, which kind of says it all to me, really. That's very interesting. That's probably why Pedrosa's not been confirmed yet for 2019 as well. But um, no matter which way you slice it, very, very bold decision from Zarko to turn that down and basically bring KTM up, which is what he was kind of hinting at when he was interviewed in the press conference earlier today. Hmm. King, uh, from, from,
0: from, from Zarko's point of view, I mean, he's... No doubt, looking to, he's looking for victories. He's looking for perhaps a MotoGP World Championship in the future. And KT, i still a little way away from that. Um, but if he was offered the, the opportunity to join Mark Marquez at Repsol Honda, I mean, you've got to have an ego to try and win a, a MotoGP World Championship. But if you're Joan Zarco, is your best chance of beating Mark Marquez to a title to do it on the same bike or to do it with a different bike that's arguably going to be stronger? Because I'd defy any rider to walk into Marc Marquez's own team and beat him on equal footing.
2: Yeah, that, that, that seems to be the situation here. The, the reasoning behind this is, like, do you really think you could beat Marc Marquez with the same machinery? Or you could hope that, you know, two or three years down the line, that KTM is going to give you a bike capable of being better than the Honda that Marquez is on?
0: Yeah, Drake, because we, we, we look at Danny mm. Pedroza and he, he often gets sort of criticized purely because he's not as good as Marc Marquez, which is a pretty cruel thing to criticize <laughs> someone for. Yeah. Um, but... You've got to say, I mean, we're not saying that Joan Zarco isn't great. He is. But if Danny Pedrosa can't beat Marc Marquez on equal footing, and Pedrosa was in the team for seven or eight years before Marc Marquez arrived, then what hope has Zarco got?
1: Indeed, Marquez was, was superior to Pedrosa the moment he walked through the door. And you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and Zarco realized that. He knows that, like, and, and be fair, most people know that listened, you know, they, that listened to Zarco and they've seen MotoGP the last few years. Marquez is doing shit on that bike that literally no one else on the planet can do. Um, Like, do you want that as your matchup? You probably don't um, by, by any measure. So his logic was, it was kind of impossible to be Marquez's teammate. Let's bring another bike into play. And that bike obviously is KTM, but probably has the most untapped potential in the grid right now. Um, Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's a it's a big deal. Pedrosa is a is a stunning bike rider, especially for his for his physical um, limitations. Given being so small, um, the, the his achievements on that on that motorcycle are phenomenal. But like Marquez is a is a different milestone. He's a he's, he is way way beyond anything we've seen in MotoGP the last few years. And like Zarco is phenomenal. No one's taking anything away from him on that one. But, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, for, for me, I think Zarco probably does stand a better chance of bringing another bike into play. And, you know, let's be real here, KTM factory money. And, you know, they are pouring a lot of money into that team to try and keep up with the bigger factories in play at the moment. So why not, you know, take take that seat on and basically spearhead the team going forward? I mean,
0: what have you made of their progress or shall I say, lack of it so far this season, King? I mean, the, the the longer it goes, the harder it's going to be for them to make progress because I guess if you're starting from a quite a low point, it's very easy to to make up initial progress. The harder it gets harder, the higher up the field you get. But will KTM perhaps be looking at this and thinking, well, perhaps the biggest improvement we can now make to our overall package is by getting a top-tier, faster rider on the bike? I mean, Paul Espargo is no scrub by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, KTM are now going to have three Moto2 titles between their two riders next season uh, in Aspargro and Zarco, but uh, it sticks in my mind a quote from Cal Crutchall last season at the British Grand Prix when he looked at KTM and he was saying how good a bike he thought it was, he said, imagine how great it would be with a top rider on it Um, essentially Mm -hmm. stating in his opinion that neither Polo or Bradley were that top rider. Is Joan Zarco naturally going to elevate that KTM squad a level above where they are now?
2: Oh, I... I wouldn't say with 100% certainty, but you don't want the bottleneck on your team being rider ability because you, you don't want to be in a position where you don't know how good your bike is because you're being held by, back by the riders that you have. H- having the best rider available kind of lets you gauge how well your bike is and where you should be you know, focusing development of the bike uh, you know, during the year and during the off season.
0: And I would have to say, even in my heart of hearts, straight everyone knows that I'm, I'm mm. a fan of of the rider that's getting replaced, um, at KTM by Zarco. But Bradley Smith, who we'll talk about in a much greater detail in a moment, has had one outstanding season in MotoGP, one season that matches up with Zarco's 2017, um, and that was Bradley Smith's 2015, where he finished sixth overall in the championship and was the top independent mm. in the championship. Um, but it has to be said that since then, he hasn't really hit those heights, and he hasn't really, I don't think, been the same since that broken femur he had midway through 2016. Um, so, I don't think there can be any doubt from KTM's point of view that their rider lineup for next season is an upgrade. Zarco, at the moment, is an upgrade on Bradley Smith. Um, I'd say so. But, um, how much how much longer do you think Sean is going to have to wait here? Because... I don't think KTM are quite in a position yet where they can we can say with certainty that they're going to be able to give Zarko a bike the match of what he's got at the moment next year. I mean, Zarko signed a two-year contract and we might be talking 2020 before Zarko is in a position to trouble the podium on that KTM. He's going to have to be patient with this.
1: He has. And you know what the thing is as well, given his age, he might not be very much. 28 right now, Johan Zarko. He's already in that sort of prime window you normally expect out of bike riders of of that sort of alien category between maybe 27 and 32. Um, Marco's entering that window because he was a late rumor to get to MotoGP. I'm glad, if anything, MotoGP has sort of shied away from automatically hiring the best young gun out there. I mean, we've seen a new wave of more experienced riders come in like Xavier Simeon, like... Johan Zarco like Thomas Lüthi who again like a lot of these guys were intermediate class veterans um but yeah like he might be on a bit of a, a bit of a time bomb here because like I said he's in his prime right now he might be on the not so bright side of 30 by the time that KTM bike is is good enough to be thinking about Race wins and podiums, which is which KTM clearly aren't there at the moment, and if anything, they might have actually taken a slight step back compared to where they were at the end of last season. It looks like the goalposts have been moved a little bit again um, in the current field, so it might be another season before we really start talking about KTM as you know potential podium sitters and 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 where do they, where do they go from there essentially? But yeah, Zarko, I mean, he, I think he knows it's going to be a rebuilding effort, but. This is the guy who says I would rather bring another bike up than you know than than try and take on Mark Marquez directly, and that was always like he, he thinks he's on that sort of level. So let's see, like let's 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 see how good he really is. Um, it's ahead of a challenge. It's probably the most ambitious I've seen in MotoGP for some time, especially for a rider of his quality to go from okay, Tech Three isn't a top tier team, but Zarco certainly performed. Like he's, like he's been in the top team of that 2016 Yamaha and the, what Tech freeze resources have given him. Um, and I can't remember the last time he's done that. And a, a top-tier rider's gone from that one end of the grid to essentially the other in KTM, who are kind of in that lower midfield, bomb of the point sort of category right now, where, you know, averaging maybe 12th to 15th, that sort of ballpark. It's very ambitious. So I, I kind of applaud Zarco for um TO you know, taking such an alternative path, but at the same time, that makes the challenge that much greater. Yeah, I mean if you're KTM and you're
0: looking for a rider to spearhead your factory team and your your aims to move up the grid, Zarco is probably the best rider there is available to spearhead that team. Because mm. um, I think it's a very good pick from their point of view. Um, what about Paul though, Dre? He stays on at KTM for another two years. Um, he's of course been with the KTM team since they came into MotoGP. He moved along with Bradley Smith from Monster Yamaha Tech Three. Um, I love the quote from the MotoGP official website: a, a video that's on their video past an interview with Paul, where he says that the team has been treating him like a king. Um, so looking oh, wow. forward to a little bit more of that um, in the next two years. But um, Bradley Smith said today that it was always going to be one of them retained and not both for 2019, Ooh. either himself or Paul. And, you can't really argue over the balance of it that Poles won the battle.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, I feel bad for Bradley because that, that, that broken leg he had, he's not been the same guy since. I think he only talked about being 100% again at Argentina, which goes to show you that, you know, for all the talk we give about somebody's bike riders being super fuming, they can still have nagging issues as well. And that was, of course, a leg um, he
0: broke after he'd already signed the contract with KTF.
1: Indeed. It was uh, we got that endurance race, wasn't it? Yeah broke out a leg um yeah so like i said he he came into that team for lack of a better term on the back foot right from the start essentially um and we've been here before with you know with Polar bagger and bradley so if they've shown that they can be very evenly matched at times and sadly the broken femur was probably the difference maker between the two on this one um polis is a class rider he's been knocking on the door of Like the top of the real, those that midfield pack, he's been top independent before. Um, he's a class rider, and he was low key a rider of the year contender last year for me, given how well he spearheaded that KTM development effort, took a brand new team, and really ran with it. Um, getting into the top 10 towards the end of the season as well. Um, he's done fantastic work for KTM, and you know, it, it that for that reason alone, I don't think it's a surprise that um KTM has chosen him over Bradley Smith. I do have a genuine level of empathy for Bradley because he, again he was he was in a he was in a bad situation right from the start having to impress um for a, for a brand new team when he was never 100% to begin with and your teammate is a familiar guy who's beaten you in the past. Um it it, it didn't look like a good sign at all um which is a shame for Brads but Hopefully he'll have other plans for 2019.
0: Mm, yeah, it's difficult to see at the moment what those plans would be. I have to say, because what what kind of worries mm. me from from Bradley's point of view is that some teams may look at him and consider his... I mean, he's Bradley Smith's not old either. He's what 26, 27. Um, but mm-hmm. some teams may look at him and think are his best years behind him? As as we've just mentioned, his he hasn't really hit the heights of 2015 since he suffered that horrendous broken femur um, at Russia Schleben uh, the year before last. Um, so there's that concern with Bradley Smith as to whether he will ever be able to reach those levels and those peaks again. Um, mm. But also, he doesn't come and never has come with a great deal of sponsorship behind him, backing him, yeah. um, which seems to be because if I'm thinking of the kind of the level of seat that Bradley Smith could potentially legitimately try and attain next season, you're looking at one of those independent uh, Ducati teams. I would have thought for Bradley Smith. Um, because, that, could, that could work. Um, but that, for me, would be his best shot of a sink next year in the Premier class. Um, and you know, Xavier Simeon, whilst you know, there's no question that Bradley's a better rider than him, Bradley thrashed him when they were teammates at Tech 3 a few years ago in Moto2. Mm. Simeon has several zeros behind his um, his name in terms of sponsorship from RTL, which Bradley Smith doesn't have. So mm. I kind of worry where Bradley Smith goes. Henry Chapman is listening in live on Patreon suggesting he may well potentially look at World Superbikes. Um I think that would be a good move for Bradley but he's he'd have the same problem that Scott Redding has had uh, or potentially had last season and that Loris Baz is finding himself this year um that if you move from MotoGP to World Superbikes and you're not a top rider what kind of seats are you going to legitimately find yourself in, in world superbikes because indeed it's oh, a very
1: established field exactly <laughs>
0: Katie, uh, sorry Kawasaki aren't likely to change either Jonathan Ray or Tom Sykes and even if they did change Tom Sykes they probably change him for Raskati Oglu the Turk who's in their, their junior team at Pachetti uh, mm. Ducati have got the likes of Rinaldi and Forrest who they could easily promote up and I, I don't think mm-hmm. they will potentially go for Bradley so there's, it, it, this season now suddenly becomes very important for Bradley Smith who's got Mika Kallio while carding alongside him at Jerez this weekend in the MotoGP class um, with KTM and Brandy Smith is now racing for his for his career legitimately certainly in MotoGP but he is racing now to try and put himself in the best potential job for 2019 at the moment yeah. I wouldn't have the first idea where that would be so um, we'll see where Brandy Smith lands um, in 2019 um, finally on KTM though King there's been, also been speculation that they're going to announce their Tech 3 KTM lineup soon uh, in MotoGP. And Javier Ponchiral has already talked up the possibility of pairing his current rider, Halfish Siren, with Miguel Oliveira, who is KTM's lead rider in the Moto2 class. Um, that would surely make perfect sense for KTM. With Oliveira, he's a rider they're going to want to keep tied down because he's clearly one of the top prospects in the, in the intermediate class. and. Having Tech Three as their junior team is the perfect vehicle to move Oliveira into the premier class and give him some experience.
2: Yeah, like I, I have this interesting quote from uh, KTM CEO Stefan Peer, where he says, "quote Our long our long term strategy is to move riders all the way to- all the way to the top with us. Many big stars have started on KTM uh, 125 bikes. Any you know name drops Marquez, Stoner, Vinales, but he says." He he specifically mentions Binder and Oliveira are the perfect examples of you know riders who've stayed with KTM their entire careers, and mm. I I think that's their like, you know their long term goal to have this system from Moto3 all the way up to MotoGP where they can keep riders in house.
0: Yeah, they they've got that that ladder now that production line of talent. It goes further than that because they have they essentially have two MotoGP teams. So you consider that two tiers. You can go from factory team to satellite team you can then go to moto two it looks like ktm are going to now be a supplier of the tech three moto two team so it looks like the tech three moto two team with Poncharal are going to continue but they're no longer going to be running their own chassis uh, they're going to be a tech three moto two team as well as probably um, for the best yeah with ktm <laughs> motorcycles next season um, which will keep that team in the class but obviously they will now run ktms as well um, as the factory team does. We've got KTM's own Moto3 team um, that currently runs Darren Binder, but KTM have always had this strategy in Moto3 where they they may well have a, in inverted commas, factory team, but they supply equal equipment and equal treatment um, to all of their Moto3 teams, as Marco Buzeki's proving this season. He's not in the factory team, but he's doing a brilliant job, and he's already won a race mm. for them. Uh, and they also have a KTM-backed team in the Judy World Championship now with the two Turkish Oncu uh, twins riding for them. So, yeah, the ktm empire if you want to call it that it's it, it's been put in place now where they have teams at at least five different levels of motorcycle racing now um where they can progress their riders on and it's going to be a very strong um strategy for them going forward if they can identify the right talent at a very young age um which is what they're looking to do at the moment in the junior world championship so ktm will be running paula spargaro and joan zarko next season um in multi gp both of those riders have signed two year contract. Um, we mentioned the Tech 3 Moto2 team. Over the rest of the season, they are running the Mistral 610, uh, 610 bike and that they've ran since the Moto2 class came into being in 2010. It's a very old motorcycle by this point. Well, Remy Gardner has been doing pretty great things on it so far this season, but he won't be doing anything on it this weekend, unfortunately. Um, because he has suffered a uh, pretty gruesome collection of injuries uh, in a motocross accident. Another reason why it's a good job, Bex, here this week, because she hates this kind of thing um, when when riders (laughs) injure themselves um, doing training on motocross bikes. Um, This one is beyond horrendous, though, Dre. Remy Gardner, rather than breaking one leg, has gone about breaking both of them.
1: And an ankle. Um, That that takes some doing. I was like, Jesus. um, Normally, it's just the one for... um... Um, but uh, yeah, God, that's a that must have been a hellacious accident. Jesus Christ, breaking both your legs and your ankle—it's um, terrible. So expect Remy got on the back sometime next week. Um, no, I'm no, joking. But uh, it's, it's it's an awful injury. We're glad Remy's okay, and you know, obviously, we'll make a full recovery, which is good to hear understandably out for the, um, the Spanish Grand Prix this weekend. And it's a shame because he's had a—he's—he's he's definitely improved this year um, in, in in Moto2. You see, he's had a better slab of results than he's had before in the class. He's hes, he's chosen an awful time to have a training accident, the poor fella. Um, so, yeah, let's hope he makes a full recovery soon. He's back on the bikes pretty quickly because, again, I think he's been very solid so far this year in Moto2. And I think it's just very unfortunate the timing of it all. Yeah, the guy was sixth in Argentina. Uh, it was a, a mm-hmm.
0: brilliant result for him there in the sort of mixed conditions we got there. Um, his best results so far of his Grand Prix career. Um, yeah, we don't quite know. It hasn't been really confirmed when he's back, but of course the next round of the championship is two weeks on from Jerez uh, at Le Mans. So um, we'll see uh, if he can make it back for that one. That of course will be Tech 3's home race weekend. Um, what Superbike needs to bring you because they will be heading to the UK later this month in around about uh, four weeks from now, it'll be over the uh, the May Bank Holiday weekend. Um, so three weeks from now, actually. Um, and Gino Ria, who is a former World Super Sport race winner, he will be making his World Superbike debut. Um, he'll be bringing his OMG Racing Suzuki team with him that he currently rides for in British Superbikes to Donington Park. So we'll have uh, another manufacturer on that grave because there are currently no Suzukis racing um, in World Superbikes. Um, that's intriguing enough, though, Dre. What's really intriguing though to us is that there was talk this week that potentially another Suzuki might be making a wildcard appearance at Donington Parking World Superbikes, no less than the actual BSB Championship leader, Brad Murray.
1: Indeed, the Milky Bar kid is strong and tough, and he might be going back to run to try and win the number um, yes Yes, like, it, it looks like build-based, um, the build-based Suzuki team Tried to put an entry through to run as a wild card for this weekend. And hey, why not? Given Bradley Ray's form around Donington so far this year, um, not, not a terrible idea. Bradley was asked about it and he kept tight lipped about it onto Twitter's. Um, so I'm not entirely sure what that means. Nothing's been officially announced yet. Donington is coming around the corner quite rapidly, he's only three weeks away. Um, so nothing's been said yet. But from what they've been hinting at, it looks like they're going to try and get Bradley Ray on the grid for that as well. Like I said, why not, given his form so far this year? Yeah, we
0: definitely want to see this. It would be brilliant to see Bradley Ray, um, uh, who's still 21 years old, let's not forget, um, riding in the World Superbike class um, on his build-based Suzuki um, in three weeks' time. And you know, there, are, there is no question, I think, in our, in our minds that Bradley Ray will be riding in the World Superbike Championship very, very soon in the future. But it might well happen a little earlier than we all expected um as i mentioned before the, the show started it would lead to a bit of a confusing scenario for a friend of the show greg haynes commentating on this for eurosport because he would have gino ria spelled r-e-a jonathan ray spelled r-e-a and bradley ray spelled r-a-y all in the same field of racing um which might lead to some <laughs> uh, some confusing commentary um, from Greg so um, he might be hoping that Brad Ray doesn't make his, uh, his debut that weekend as entertaining as it would be uh, we'll have more news on that if that does happen Bradley Ray as Dre mentioned has been very tight-lipped on it he used the old finger over the lips keep quiet um, emoji when asked about it by mm-hmm. only Rushby of MCN um, earlier this week and um, yeah I'm firmly of the view that if he wasn't going to be doing it he'd have just said nah it's not happening um, so we will see we hope it happens because it would be brilliant to see Bradley Ray the British Superbike Championship leader uh, racing in the British round of the World Superbike Championship. Um, one other piece of news to bring you, and this one's exciting too, um, because British Superbikes are back this weekend. We'll preview it in a little more detail at the end of the show. Um, they're at Alton Park over this early May bank holiday weekend. Um, and a very familiar name is returning into the championship. The multiple champion, Yuichi Kianari, returns to British Superbikes. Dan Linfort, we told you about who's injured at the moment. Um, possibly going to be back for Snetterton which is the next round of the British Superbike Championship following Alton Park Um, he's still out injured but it's a fascinating replacement Dre I mean Kianari on his day is as good as anyone that British Superbikes has ever seen as he's proven he's won championships but he kind of left the championship um, as a a rider who we kind of question mentally as to have gone as a force in British Superbikes so for this one off return I'm fascinated to see which Kianari shows up at Alton
1: yeah, and this is a guy that is also very, very good at park traditionally. He's had some stunning rides around here in the past, and yeah, like we, again, I don't need to convince anybody that knows Kianari about his potential and his talent. It's 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 obscene. Um, it's it's seen bucket loads when he's on form. Um uh, when he's on form, he's as good as anyone ever I've ever seen on two wheels. He is exceptional, but that guy has not showed up for a couple of years now, for the most part, and. I don't know what Honda's going to get going into this weekend, but that's kind of probably the most intriguing thing Mm. about BSP going into the Ultimate Park weekend, just how good is Kionari going to be? We know that the Honda package is good enough to win races as Dan Linford has done on several occasions in the last half season, or you know, last full season if you want to go back to the middle of last year Um, so yeah, the, the Honda's gotten better and better, it is now a top tier package, no matter which way you slice it um, so the opportunity and the potential is there for Kianari to have a really, really good standing weekend for Linford. But uh whether he's motivated, whether, you know, mentally he's not doubting himself anymore, I hope he isn't. Because the man is exceptional mm. on a on a motorcycle and I really hope we get the good side of him, because if we do, um then we could be something special. Yeah, I think with Kianari,
0: you hit the nail on the head when you talked about his, his mental state. With Kianari, whether he's good or not, it's all of his head. Um, you know, if, he, if he's right in the head, he's he's right on the racetrack, and that's what leads me to not necessarily expect him to go well this weekend, but I certainly hope he does because there's zero pressure on him uh, this weekend at Alton Park. You, you've referenced his, his strong recent record there. um You know, he's won. I think he's won more races around Alton Park than any rider in the history of British Superbikes. Um, so he, he's got a great track record around there. There is no pressure on him to necessarily do particularly well because he's not fighting for the championship. He's not fighting for a showdown spot. He's going to be handing that spot over to Linfoot in the future anyway. Um, So I just hope he turns up, has a great weekend and does well. He's still got the speed. We've seen him turn up at the Suzuka 8 Tower in recent years and still produce some spectacular Mm. performances. So the speed is still there. It's just a case of somehow unlocking it. And we hope that the Honda Racing Team can do that. Kianari will partner Jason R. Halloran um, at the uh, Honda Racing Team at Alton Park this weekend. And we'll review everything that happens there. This time next week on Bite 11, episode 59. And as I say, we will preview what happens this weekend um, before we go on this week's episode. Coming up next, though, we're going to begin our look ahead to this weekend and start with our uh, preview with the MotoGP, which takes place at the Spanish Grand Prix at Jerez. Not like anything else of any consequences happened there in the past, has it? More on that in a moment. This is episode 58 of Bike Live, and let's take a stroll down memory lane and look back on some of the classic moments that have taken place um, in the Spanish Grand Prix history uh, at Jerez. Henry Chapman, before we started this show, referenced the uh, the famous collision between Crivier and Duin at the final corner yeah. in '96, one of the uh, most famous, famous track invasions in the history of motorsport um, that followed uh, that one. Um, but we're going to go back to 2005. I think when most people, Dre, think of Hareth and think of controversy, they immediately think of 2005 um, because of the final corner of that Grand Prix. Um, and I know this is not necessarily an incident that you want to relive too many more times um, <laughs> because it was one of the most painful memories of your childhood. Um, yes, but, it was. Um, but let's un- uh, let's peel back those wounds anyway uh, for the purposes oh. of entertainment. Um, and... And the battle between Valentino Rossi and Seti Gibbanao. And and to set the scene for this, this was a year when the Spanish Grand Prix FF was the opening round of the season, um, as opposed to the fourth round as it is now. Um, And I mean, would you say this was pretty much the final nail in the coffin as far as the uh, Valentino Rossi Seti Gibbanao rivalry was concerned? Because. Zibinau yeah. had already been told at the end of the previous season after the famous track cleaning incident in Qatar that he would never win another race in MotoGP by Valentino Rossi, a prophecy that proved to be yeah. absolutely correct um, and Brad, uh, Valentino Rossi ensured at the final court of the Spanish Grand Prix Jerez that his prediction did indeed come true
1: Indeed, that was like the last time we really saw Sete Zibinau anything near his best on a motorcycle maybe ever again um yeah it's it this one's still a little bit raw to me unfortunately from 2005 because again I, those guys on. 13 years on it's still it's i still can't get over this one um because I, i've said it before in previous written columns on the website and whatnot that i grew up a our fan in a house full of valentino fans my dad and my brother um were huge Rossi nuts back then so me in the gym and our fan watching those two go to war at ref it was a tense occasion to mm-hmm. say the least. Um, and and I still to this day remember Toby Moody actually calling it before they got to there, but it's like they're gonna hit, they're gonna hit. And it's like you, where Rossi was planting the bike, you knew there was going to be contact, you could see, I'd say, maybe 50 yards before the apex of the corner, you saw was going to do, and it doesn't make it any less painful that he did it. Um, it is still one of the most iconic moments in Momosoto GP history. It's in every montage you can ever think of for modern-day MotoGP action. Um, two riders at the absolute top of their games, um, and <laughs> basically... Yeah, basically, Valentino Rossi rewriting <laughs> the rule book and what constituted as an aggressive overtake. Um, essentially, race control sat on their hands. They let the results stand, and Valentino Rossi would, would take another glorious win. And yeah, as you he, as he alluded to, it's, that probably was the final nail in the coffin um, for the Sete Gibbanao's career really, in top flight motorcycle racing. He was never the same dude after that one. I think the combination of. Of injuries and mind games, and then later on, uncompetitive machinery. It was the beginning of the end for Sete. After that point, Marco Melandri kind of became the guy for for Honda after that for a little while before um uh, before other guys took over like Hayden and Pedrosa and whatnot. But yeah, that kind of really was like the end of an era for Sete. And yeah, it's uh, I'm not bitter about it at all, honest. No, no, it's all okay, <laughs> can you tell listeners?
2: Uh, <laughs> but like, like. like <laughs> When you say it's been used in like every MotoGP montage, that's that's probably like one of the some of the first on-track action I've ever seen of MotoGP. When I first started watching yep. like, mm. MotoGP years ago, and again, me coughing there was me rewatching it again for like the first time, probably like eight years. And man, it was mm, it was a moment because they were <laughs> they they were shoulder to shoulder on the run down to the corner.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it goes back further than that because they. I mean, Valtteri Rossi makes an error earlier on around the final lap that lets now through, and uh, Dre mentioned Toby Moody's commentary where you could see it coming. I think we could all see something coming because Rossi had blown it earlier on the final lap, and you knew he was going to have a go. You knew he wasn't going to let it lie there because it was now. He wasn't going to let him win the race that easily, um, and it, it kind of makes me think of, of Le Mans last year as well, where Rossi made a mistake halfway around the final lap and you knew he was going to try and do something in the remainder of that lap to try and rectify it. And in that case, of course, it was a crash um, that sent him down. But but yeah, King mentioned the fact that it was one of the first pieces of MotoGP footage he ever saw. And for me, it was the, it was the moment that changed me from being a sort of fence sitter that would watch the occasional MotoGP race to, I've got to watch this every single weekend now. Because <laughs> I've, I've, yeah. I've, got, I've, got I've got to see what happens next between these two. I mean, I was already aware of the Rossi-Jibbenau rivalry in the history, but... That took it to another level Drake, because it was in Spain, it was in sete Gibonao 's home turf, and Valentino Rossi essentially and it's something that would seem seem unthinkable now, given how popular it is, but at that particular moment in time, Valentino Rossi made himself public enemy number one at Jerez.
1: oh yeah, like like her, like Jerez didn't forgive him for a good for that one that was uh that was uh, uh, quite the exit statement from Valentino on that one. Yeah, you basically spiked a Spaniard in his in his backyard at the um, stare in
0: Parc Ferme as well.
1: Oh god, it was it was cold. I think Seti wanted to knock him out after yeah. that one. Um, he, he didn't go full Max Biaggi on that one, unfortunately, or, or fortunately, depends on what to look at I suppose. Um, fight Club, um, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, like I said, it, like that was back then. That was a that was the. The crowd splitter, like we had in, like, like we had in Sepang in 2015. That's that might be the only other time it really happened where it was like you had to sort of take a side on this one. It's like were you on the side of GP racing, is anything goes, no holds barred, and you were in support of Valentino, who was probably at the peak of his popularity in that era. At that point in time, he he won multiple championships by that point of Honda, and Yamaha, and he was the biggest name in the sport by a country mile. Or were you one of those traditionalists like me who was who supported Sete and was really salty about the whole thing. And I was like, how dare Rossi do such a thing? Um turns out most of the people I think eventually got back on Rossi's side on that one. I mean, yeah, a few a few celebrations and fancy stuff later. And everything was forgiven in the end for Valentino. But yeah, as you say, at the time it was a big crowd splitter. It was a It was one of those incidents to kind of force you to take a side it was one of those you know headline column inches sort of moments where a sport can go far beyond its usual realm of popularity i mean it's like again to compare it to sapat in 2015 how many? I mean, I'm sure, King, will back me up on this one. How many guys had never followed MotoGP suddenly had two cents on, on on how the sport works when Rossi <laughs> and Marquez clashed at Sepang? Like Jason Plato was giving opinions on this shit. Like Plato, you don't watch bikes. Like like yeah,
0: the Jason hell Plato, are you do. The king of the clean overtake.
1: Yes, of course. <laughs> Trad- traditionalist, Jason Plato. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like it's one of those sorts of moments where. It grabbed an entire new, an entire new section of fans, and again, Lewis, you were the other walking proof of that. That you know, it, it, it's what sucked you in permanently. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you probably weren't the only one on that camp on that one. And yeah, that's it, that's it the helped. power of, of, of that Yeah, yeah, it helped that 2006 came next as well. <laughs> the following season, it did, just to, uh,
0: it did. Just to completely pulled me back in and um just erased any hopes of be uh, falling out of love with the sport. Because it has to be said, from that point, as we kind of mentioned earlier on. 2005 didn't actually end up being that great a season from there because Schibber now just faded away as a real force um, and Rossi won mm. that championship with plenty to spare um, as Marco Melandri kind of came through and ended the season as, as the runner-up. Yeah, St. Schibber now wasn't really the same from that point on and it was a glimpse into just how ruthless and how cold Dante Rossi could be when a race victory was on the line because of course he was getting booed on the podium on this day, uh, which again is something that you wouldn't even consider happening now and even with the booze from all the Spanish crowns, he still has the nerve to go up on the podium, take the trophy, and smile at everyone, and then shake Seti Gibbon out by the hand um, on the podium. <laughs> uh, As if to say, bad luck, mate. Um, which, oh. uh, and and Seti, you could see there was that moment with Seti where he wanted to just ignore him, but he sort of turned to Rossi and sort of politely shook his hand when you, you knew he just wanted to, to headbutt him. Um, and, oh. and yeah, the, the two both went in very different directions from that point on. Seti Gibbon, of course, is now Daddy Pedroza's rider coach. Um, in MotoGP, whilst Valentino Rossi is still racing um, at the top of MotoGP, which is which again is incredible to think. 13 well, years yeah, later. We've got a stat on Valentino Rossi to tell you, if you haven't seen on social media, it's an amazing stat, mm. we'll give you that later on in the show, what he will actually achieve this weekend, which is mind-boggling. Um, but moving forward from 2005 um, to uh, 2006, the very next year, and the other extreme really for Valentino Rossi, where... He encountered Tony Elias, and it wouldn't be the last time he'd encounter him over the course of that season, because Tony Elias would take Valentino Rossi down at the very first corner of the 2006 season. Um, as mm. Valentino Rossi, who qualified pretty poorly, I think he qualified something like 11th on the grid, um, and was then taken out by Tony Elias at turn one. And in the end, Dre, much like 2005 in the opening race, set the tone for the season that f- followed. It was kind of the same in 2006 because this would be a season where Valentino Rossi would be plagued with bad luck throughout the year.
1: Yeah, it was like the racing gods had basically come together and said, "Okay, Valentino, we've collectively had enough of your shit." It's of someone else <laughs> yeah it's like yeah so we know we, we're gonna give you like engine failures which was, at that point was like unprecedented in moto gp that the blacks would have a mechanical problem like normally these blacks are incredibly reliable for the most part despite them being ex- very expensive multi-million pound prototypes they are generally very reliable pieces of kit that don't normally go wrong um but rossi had a magnitude of bad luck was taken out by Elias. I remember him being very salty towards the ass after that one as well. We are mm-hmm. claiming that claiming that Elias was dangerous and reckless and uh, quote unquote. Remember that it becomes important later. But um, but yeah, it, it was the, it was the racing gods that had enough of Valentino. They played him. I remember his engine I think failed at Le Mans, and he had multiple mechanical retirements in that race. Yeah, Laguna Seca, like, blew up as well. Yeah. Yep, exactly, and yeah, like as a result, we also got one of the most competitive MotoGP ever. In a certain video, I may or may not have done on the Motorsport 101 YouTube channel, I mentioned that going into the famous Estoril round, the penultimate round of that season, five dudes could have still won the championship going into that penultimate race, including a rookie, Danny Pedrosa wonder what happened to him. Um, but um, yeah, I said, like Rossi had a, a ton of bad luck and it all pretty much started with Elias taking him out at the first corner in her F in 2006.
0: Yeah, Loris Capirossi um, went on to win, win that race um, on the number 58 Ducati, mm. uh, on the number 65 Ducati, as I say, and uh, in the end, he would be one of those that would lay claims to try and win the championship later that season. Danny Pedroza took second in that race, ahead of the eventual champion, uh, Nicky Hayden, who took third. Um, For Epsilon, Valentino Rossi did remount and finish 14th in that race, but never really got his season up and running uh, until the closing stages of it, where he won in Malaysia, then had back-to-back rostrums all the way up until Portugal, the famous Portuguese Grand Prix, where the aforementioned Elias were beaten to the flag by two (laughs) thousandths of a second. Um, those gold under the, the second, podium. Which really gold, become, gold under the podium. Yeah, which really <laughs> became crucial when uh, Rossi decked it at the final round of Valencia to open the door for Nicky Hayden to win the championship. Hayden, who had been taken out in that earlier race by his teammate Danny Pedrosa. Uh, one day we have promised to do a show all on that single race because it is one of the great motorcycle races of all time. Um, the 2006 Portuguese Grand Prix. Um, and that incredible season started at Jerez with the controversial collision between Elias um, and Rossi. Um, another controversial collision, and this again involved Rossi, followed in 2011. Um, although this time, Valentino Rossi didn't come out of this one even remotely well. Um, this this race in general, Dre, just needs re-watching. It is another chaotic race. I think the only Spanish Grand Prix um, at Jerez that I can remember to take place in wet conditions. Um, and mm. of course, the famous collision between Valentino Rossi and Casey Stoner. Um, I still think of this, even all these years on. Rossi never won a race for Ducati, but I still think he could have won this one. Um, this was the one this he could was the have one. won. Because he was the fastest man on track until he lost the front at Turn 1. And of all of the people for him to scoop up and take out of the race, it was his old rival Casey Stoner, um, who he took out. His nemesis. His nemesis, who uh, he tangled with at Laguna Seca three years prior. Um, first of all, the first funny instance from that race... Everyone remember all of the Stuart, all the uh, Marshalls trackside, around seven of them at that corner? They all went to try and push Valentino Rossi away. None of them went to help Stoner,
1: which I thought was amazing.
0: (laughs) They all rushed to Valentino's Ducati. And Casey's waving at them thinking, anyone want to help me, guys? Because I need to get going too. Um, Valentino Rossi does remount and finish fifth. Um, but it, it led to one of the famous quotes that we've all heard in motorcycle racing where Valentino Rossi went to Stoner's garage to apologise post-racing. Casey Stoner, first of all, asks how his shoulder is because um, he injured it the previous year and then says,
1: your ambition outweighed
0: your talent.
2: Cold,
1: cold-blooded from Casey Stoner. That was, like, I could not think of a better distance than that in the heat of the you moment. Are, no, no, have no.
0: Serious stones to say that to a nine-time world champion.
1: But that's exactly that's Casey what Casey Stoner, Stoner wants. Yeah. That's Casey Stoner. Casey Stoner doesn't give a shit who you are. Casey Stoner will put you on blast. And the man is like, it's the Aussie in him. He's completely fearless and he has like no fear of repercussion for anything he says. That's just, that's just the sort of dude Casey is. And yeah, like he had every right to be a bit aggrieved on that one because yeah, Rossi just tucks the front going into turn one. It's a classic Haref turn one, turn one crash really just the problem is that Casey happened to be on the apex when it happened. Um, it just loses the front collects Casey underneath. Um, Again, Casey was already ticked off that, as you mentioned, the stewards all wanted to get Valentino back up and going again. Nobody gave a shit about Casey in the gravel. He was out as a result. Rossi goes on to actually still take a a solid chunk of points in fifth. Um, (laughs) It, it, it was like the perfect storm for casey to be really salty about this situation and he just took it out on an apologetic valentino who uh, and then casey was basically not here for any of this um basically and so I had to torch him um which i thought was quite funny and still is to this day but um yeah that was the that was the one there i felt like valentino probably could and probably should have won that race in their ref because no one is better in wet conditions than him on, on those sorts of occasions. Ducati was always a bit of a wet of weather specialist bike, anyway. That chassis, the heavier chassis, seemed to come into play more when it was wet. And, yeah, he just made a silly mistake, collected the one man you do not want to piss off mm-hmm. um, in, 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 in those sorts of situations, because Casey had already had beef with Valentino, again, going back to 2008. Um, and the Giubina Seca again, one of the all-time classics, at least the first half of it is anyway, um, in terms of a, a, a dogfight between Valentino and Casey they're going all the way. Um, Casey never liked the fact that Valentino would always take it too far, and... Uh, well, that was like the justification, in case still needed to, to basically give Valentino Rossi the business um, in in the paddock after that one. But, uh, yeah, another another classic incident, one of many in that mental. 2011 race right. yeah i still think back to because uh,
0: i've got the dvd of uh, a decade in motor gp that uh, that they brought out mm. um and it includes uh, that incident and it i just love the way it's directed and put together because they show the incident they show the apology and the conversation that rossi and stoner have where stoner puts Valentino rossi on blast then immediately the closing shot is a shot of casey stoner in the garage just shrugging his shoulders at the camera <laughs> to say this guy don't give a shit who you are um, even if you're Valentino Rossi it, it, it's, a, it's a brilliant, brilliant moment and and a great Grand Prix as well um, It's it was in an era when GP was kind of at it's lowest point in many ways but certainly in terms of group mm. numbers only 17 riders started that race um, back in 2011 which is 7 short of where we're at now and um, there were only really 3, well 4 makes a motorcycle with Ducati, Honda and Yamaha all in the field and the one Suzuki of Alvaro Bautista in that field as well um, oh, yeah. but, um, but it is a race that um, of that time, probably the race of that season and a race that we would encourage you all to watch and uh, yeah, the guys will both back us up on this one, um, based on the videos that we've been sharing in the Discord server before mm-hmm. we started recording this, if you want to find the coverage of this race try and find the Eurosport coverage because we have not one, but two of the greatest commentators curses we've ever heard
1: Yep, uh, the first one with Marco Simon and Saul who was leading that race uh, magnificently Going into turn one, and turn one is just a knack of producing accidents. Yep, we got another one. Uh, Marco high sides it, and Toby Moody's commentary call is hilarious. He's like, I believe the quote is Marco Simoncelli is leading this race and leading it brilliantly. And oh no, yeah. um, as <laughs> it's that quick, as it's that quick, as you could see that, that Marco is about to have a spectacular high side bins it from the lead and toby moody can't believe what he's just done like he takes he, i love that he takes full responsibility for it like oh, what have i done what have i said um and julian Ryder have absolutely zero chill in the background goes wonderful compensators cursed there jill <laughs> um it, it's it's a thing of beauty um it kind of has to be seen to be believed and there is another one later on in that race that Henry Chapman put in there to remind me I've actually actually kind of forgotten about that one, um, that Edwards has one as well.
0: Yeah, Colin Edwards is running third <laughs> in this MotoGP race on the Tech 3 Yamaha. And uh, so with a couple laps to go, Julian Ryder this time, he's talking about Colin Edwards and he says, we've got Colin Edwards in third place. We're talking about a satellite Yamaha on the rostrum. And then the camera cuts to the Turn 1 gravel trap to see Colin Edwards picking said Yamaha out of the gravel trap. <laughs> and again, Toby Moody instantly seeing a spot of revenge and says, Your turn for the commentator's curse, Julian. <laughs> and he just throws him straight under the bus. And immediately, Julian is like, Yep, yeah, let's both, let's just shut up for the rest of the race. Let's just not say anything. <laughs>
2: Uh, Yeah, because because
0: they just had a habit of jinxing uh, two of the key contenders. It's a brilliant Grand Prix and uh, one of the great races for the greatest commentary duo that we've ever seen in motorcycle racing as well, in uh, in Moody and Ryder. It was brilliant. A a great Grand Prix at Haretta in 2011. There have been some others since then as well. We forward on to 2013, and uh, yeah, remember Rossi and Giba now in 2005? Well, eight years on, Mark Marquez, who still at this stage, was the uh, happy-go-lucky, ever-popular Valentino Rossi sort of fan of the of the past, trying to emulate him. Kind of took that a little too literally, didn't he, Dre, in 2013, by emulating Valentino Rossi at the final corner by bullying Jorge Lorenzo out of the way. Side note, three
1: days earlier, that turn had been
0: renamed Lorenzo Corner.
1: Somehow, I don't think Lorenzo jumped in the river off. No. Um... <laughs> Instead, we got the signature Jorge Lorenzo slash Brendan Lee in the esports style finger wag. It's, uh, it's a thing of beauty. Um, you can see Guitar Marquez was a fast learner. So it's like, okay, Lorenzo Corner, hairpin bend, park the bike on the apex on the left, and you will take the position. It works every time. And it did. <laughs> Marquez pulls it off and, yeah, bumps Lorenzo off. I think it was for third place. That no, it was for second place that day, I believe it was. I think the yeah, was already one, down yeah. the road throws to one and then Marquez had, had beaten Lorenzo off the apex using the Valentino Rossi signature move at the hairpin to take second. And I remember Lorenzo wasn't very ugly. Like Marquez Absolutely. offered the handshake. Uh, and Lorenzo was like, Oh, he didn't even look him in the face and just gave him the finger wag like, no, 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 Like, What are you doing? And it's like, well, Lorenzo, you better get used to this because it won't be the first time he does something like that. Um, no. But yeah, and I, I, it sort of when I look back on that as well, it, I think that was really
0: the moment. I know Mark Marquez had already won him on GP race by this point in, in the Circuit the Americas, place where he happened to have quite a, a handy habit of winning, as it turned out. Um, but mm. he, but he, I think this was the moment where he really announced himself as not just the rapid rookie that we all thought was going to win the odd race, but I think that this was a moment where we thought, oh. You know, he's here to win the championship immediately because he is taking on, at that point, the reigning MotoGP world champion Jorge Lorenzo and showed no signs of any intimidation. If anything, he was just dishing it out to Jorge right from the off-drain. Like I say, that was the moment where Marc Marquez, who I think was still being viewed as not really... I don't think many people even at that stage would take him seriously as a potential title winner that year. Everyone thought it was going to be Pedrosa versus Lorenzo for the world title mm-hmm, um, in mm-hmm. 2013. But I think that was the moment where Marc Marquez said, I'm here to win this immediately.
1: Yeah, it was It was like the dawn of like the, the terror. Marquez was just starting to begin right there and then. Just how good Marquez was until a, a, probably a few rounds later on. So he took the Saxon ring and started that trend of just dominating in Germany. That middle of the season was where Marquez was at his absolute strongest um and yeah, it all started really horrific. I mean he had that code to win, but yeah, completely like like completely unafraid of being willing to uh take on anyone on it was very reminding a lot of Johan you know, Zarco now, where Zarco has always talked about like being completely just like unabashed, zero fear of what's in front of him. Um, it doesn't matter who you are, what your reputation is, I'm going to take you on and I'm going to punch you in the nose. And that's exactly what Marquez did. At the start of his gp career essentially um and yeah you it, could pretty much trace it back to this one <laughs> mm.
0: uh, another incident we have on our, our list of classic spanish gp incidents is 2015 in moto three where danny kent takes the victory but that wasn't really the story the story was fabio quattararo um, who at that stage was in his rookie season in the grand prix world championship having won the junior world championship prior to that um, and he went for the final corner dive bomb that had previously been seen by Rossi and Marquez. And actually said as much after the race, after this failed attempt to win the Grand Prix. Um, he locked the rears up, slid wide, finished fourth. Um, he said he, he he was trying to do the Rossi move, the Marquez move that he'd seen in the past. And a question to, to both of you, I suppose, is when I think back to 2005 and Rossi and Gibbon out, has MotoGP ever really, in a sense i to use the word better than recovered from that because MotoGP has seemingly had this attitude ever since on last corner battles, last lap battles, where pretty much anything goes. Um, as long as you get alongside, as long as there's a bit of content, that's fine because it's the final lap. And MotoGP has now arrived at a point, as we've seen after Argentina, where they're seemingly becoming a little bit tough um, on those kind of ramming incidents. In a way, guys, does this all stem back to Rossi Gibanao 05?
2: Yeah, I'd have to say it does. Because I would have to say it hasn't recovered because if you compare it to the other series that had a major accident at Jerez with you know the season ending European Grand Prix where Michael Schumacher had his collision with Jacques Villeneuve at Jerez. And pretty much the FIA put their foot down and disqualified Schumacher out right from the mm. championship for doing that. And it kind of just stopped that immediately. Yeah, that Rossi that was not an no case. Yeah, Rossi kept his win yeah uh, I so think, kind, uh, yeah go on, go on King, yeah yeah it it kind of set the precedent where uh if you if you do something if, if you do something that seriously you're going to be disqualified from the championship in formula one yeah
1: and uh it's like i still remember that call to this day where martin brundle goes ah you've hit the wrong part this time michael um yeah. I thought <laughs> was still hilarious. Probably my all-time favorite Martin Brundle commentary line. But yeah, I completely agree with King on this one. I, I, think it, I think that's the most prolific high-profile case of, you know, last corner contacts, you know, you know, basically almost anything goes at the end of a MotoGP race. Um, race direction, didn't want to get involved, and that kind of set the tone for a good decade, really, of, you know race direction will not intervene in a last corner incident basically until you know years down the road. and now they're starting to tighten the wick on this a little bit um as the as the bikes get faster and the other and you know, sport gets a little bit more dangerous and we've seen more and more incidents like this happen across the board um, I think now race, race direction is starting to, to change their tune on this, essentially, which, you know, probably for the best in the grand scheme of things. Um, but I think, again, as King alluded to, you, I think you can go back and circle this from, 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 from her F2005 as the one where, you know, the tone was set for basically the modern day GP and the last lap feud, essentially. Mm, yeah it's like it's it stemmed from that where yeah last
0: laps have essentially become an, an anything goes you know no holds barred kind of kind of event you can do what you want because it's the final lap of the race and it looks now as if most gp is now starting to get a little bit tougher on this and and decide that they have to have boundaries whatever stage of the race instance occurring um there's one other race that we decided to highlight um from spanish grand prix of the past and I genuinely did not know when I put this in that King was going to be appearing on this week's episode, but it's kind of <laughs> handy that it's here um, because we can't really do nice. a rundown. We can't really do a rundown of some of the great um, you know, performances, the great incidents, the great rides um, around Hereth without mentioning 2016 and Moto3 and the first ever victory for Brad Binder, uh, the first victory of what will become his championship winning year. Um, and King, it's fair to say that if there's a way to win your first ever grand prix in your career going from last to first is a pretty special way of doing it
2: yeah last to first in moto three of all categories is probably something that is going to be on your cv for the for the duration of your career it is it's it's an
0: incredible incredible result to have on your cv and yeah, it's amazing when you go back at this Dre, because it's easy to forget the, the circumstances surrounding this. Because it's easy to look at Brad Binder season and think, "Oh, he won several races that season." So why should we really look any deeper at his first of them? But yeah, he he qualified up the front, had to go to the back of the grid because of some illegal engine mapping on his bike, where the, essentially the wrong file name had been created and it was it wasn't the correct file. And anyway, some sort of some sort of very convoluted technical reason where they would breached the regulation. He had to go to the back of the grid. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the... it, it was
1: named "Wind from the back dot JPEG, yeah, basically. Was, uh,
0: <laughs> he was starting thirtieth backwards. I think it was something like thirty seconds on the grid. He had to start. Brad Binder for that race. Yeah. Um, sliced his way through the grid. Didn't just slice his way through the field, but he sliced his way through by around half distance, and then gapped them and won by three point
1: three seconds. <laughs> It might be the single-handedly most dominant in like 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 dry Moto Free race I've ever seen and will probably ever see. Um, to have like to have that much pace in a Moto Free race when these bikes have what sixty horsepower and the fact that you know it's it's those marginal gains are, are are so so hard to find. I, I I still watched that race in awe. I did not know how on earth Binder was able to pull off again to not only you know, carve his way through the field, almost took out his brother by accident. Darren is in there, there as well. Um, in the early period of that race, he omitted I mean, that in the post-race, he almost took his brother out, which which would have not not gone down so well. Um, but yeah, he. he gapped his way all the way to the front of the field and then gapped them to, to, to win the race comfortably as everybody else got into a dogfight for second. I think Nico Bulliger was second that day um, with that brilliant, double. was it the double pass at the hairpin, I'm going to say it was? Mm, um, taking his first of a poll that weekend too. Yeah, if memory serves. But um, yeah, it was an unbelievable race that you know we'll probably never see again in dry conditions just to have that much of a pace advantage over um, over everybody else, especially on a, on a tight and technical track, where you're not going to have the toe like you are in other races like Cota or Argentina, where you know it's easy to follow. Like he's done that at Haraf. It's 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 an unbelievable, very special performance from Brad Binder on that one, and uh, I'm, I'm glad he got pulled in as much as King was here. And you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's easy yeah. to wax lyrical, but it's well worthy of a mention because uh, Binder was spectacular that day.
0: Yes, because he was riding for the KTM squad. Um, that particular day. Yeah, would go on to win the championship and he would go on to do a very, very similar thing uh, at Valencia at the final round of the season when he went off on the first lap, dropped outside the top 20 and still came back to win. Um, He kind of made a habit of that over the course of that season. Brad Binder, um, a sensational um, championship winning season. And I remember us having him on the show shortly after that win as well. Um, Mm. well, What a great guy he was. Brad Binder, um, he'll be in action this weekend in the Moto2 class. Um, with the same Rebel KTMIO team. And, and let's look ahead to this weekend. Um, we might as well start with Moto2, since we're talking about Brad Binder. And um, a fascinating one this day, um with uh, Francesco Bagnaia heading to this as the championship leader, having won two out of three. Last year, this race was won by Alex Marquez, who kind of came into this race last year under a bit of pressure, having seen his teammate Franco Morbidelli win the first three races. It's kind of deja vu again. Alex Marquez once again heads to his home Grand Prix under serious pressure.
1: And I think, if I remember correctly, last year it was the breakout performance from Peko Banyaya in the moto second,
2: two. Yeah.
1: You He finished second that day. He you know, was a few seconds further back, but that was like the first real Peko had arrived moment in Moto2. Isn't that kind of ironic that now we're going into this race and Peko's the championship leader and won two out of the first three. And Marquez is the one getting the question marks again. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of funny how that's played out in the end. Um yeah, you're absolutely right. Peko's been the class of the field so far. He's won both of those those two races he has won. He was very, very good in, it. he was very tactically astute, paced it incredibly well. Um you know maturity well beyond his years for a bike rider. And yeah, this is this is a big round for Alex Marquez. He did he, he tends to go well here. He was very strong here when he won here last year. He broke Frankie Morbidelli into bullied him into making a mistake and Morbidelli went down that ended his early win streak. And we were like, Oh look, Alex Marquez is coming back. Nice. Um so he yeah, he he won it at a canter last year, uh, mostly because of um the, the yet yeah, he tactically was able to break Frankie on that one for the first time.
0: Yeah. Who then um, fell off.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I, I wonder how this one will play out. I mean, on paper, I think Alex Marquez has got more pace probably in him than any other rider in Moto 2 at the moment. But um, as, it, as again, that, that's, we all know with Alex Marquez, that's never the full story. So um, how that story ends will be very interesting indeed. Mm,
0: yeah, Moto 3 uh, as well this weekend sees the latest chapter in what is initially shaping up to be a head-to-head between the two Spaniards for the title, Jorge Martín and Aaron Canet. Um, and Airbash Nini will not have something to say about that as well, but I guess we're hoping, Dre, that this weekend we'll see a return to the more traditional Moto3 race. And we haven't really had uh, one of them yet this season. I mean, the first race of the season was a straight fight between Martin and Canet. Um, Argentina was a raid-affected race that Bezecchi just cleared off and won. And the like the America's never really produces great Moto3 racing because it just spaces the field out I think we are do mm. a good moto three group battle at the front, aren't we?
1: We are definitely due one of them if you ask me um it's it's kind of weird that the season played out. Kota just isn't conducive really to you know to to close tight racing. I think we've no, I think we've really caught onto that now in the last um couple mm. of years now and you know, Qatar again ended up being a two-horse race. Really, it was a, it was almost like two separate races in one. It was the solo dogfight between Martin and Canet, and then everybody else fighting for third. Um, so, I guess you could kind of say it was kind of a pack racing Qatar, just yeah, not just, just not yeah. for third, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just one for third rather than first. So, hopefully, we'll get the best of both worlds this weekend. I mean, Herat again, it's, it's like the, like we've seen it before. You tend to get a leading group of four or five dudes that are up there. So in theory, we should get one of those again. I hope it does because again, we've not really seen that fight for a win in terms of in terms of a, of a, of a madcap pack race like we've had before. So I'm very intrigued to see how this one goes as well because uh, we're not. I, I'm still not entirely sure about the state of play in the field at the moment. I'm curious to see how that one goes.
0: No, it is going to be interesting to see how that goes. We've got a couple of wildcards in the 2 this weekend. Jeremy Alcoba, who is another of the Australia Go this year Junior World Championship riders. Uh, and Ayagura, who's a young Japanese from the Age of Talent team. Now, they will both be very, very quick, because they race in the CEV Junior World Championship, so they're familiar with all the Spanish tracks, so uh, yeah, you might well see one or two of those up the front this weekend um, as well. MotoGP, though, um, we're still kind of... It, it, in, in many ways, guys, we're starting from zero, aren't we, in, in MotoGP, because we've had three <laughs> differing races, but uh, only a one-point lead for de so over Marc Marquez, given how crazy some of the racing has been, particularly in Argentina. Um, so who are we expecting to be up the front this weekend? Davizioso doesn't go particularly well around her ref, nor do Ducati, um, whereas Honda dominated last year, Yamaha dominated the year before, but hated it last year on a pretty low grip surface, a surface that has now been relayed. Um, but does Marc Marquez justifiably start this one as the heavy favourite?
1: Um... In my opinion, no, um, which is something I've, I'm surprised I'm even seeing in public. Um, like, I've seen the bookies, like, Marquez is 8-11 to 11 to win this weekend, and I don't know why his odds are so short. I, I like. Have you forgotten how this played out last year? Um, where he was basically, you know, he did not have an answer for Danny Pedrosa all race long. He's not good at Haref, he just isn't. He's the it's the one track he struggles with. I think only, t- only one win in his, in his top flight career. Yeah, that was at that he the first ten. And- yeah, and that was twenty fourteen, where he was just so unbelievably overpowered in the first half of the season that nobody could touch him, no matter what the track was. Um, essentially. So I think like the problem with Pedrosa here is that Pedrosa is fantastic round here. The problem with him is is that he's probably still somewhat in pain from the broken wrist. Um, So when you combine those two elements and the fact that the track's been relayed, I don't think anybody really knows how this is going to play out. And that's very interesting. Um, Honda tend to go well here. um, They tend to be better than Yamaha around here. Maverick's been strong around here in the past. Valentino was one around here. I think nine times in her F in his career. Um, so he loves it round here as well especially if it's dry, he'll be right up the front I reckon, I think Valentino is due a good weekend and I think it's going to come here um, so this I think is probably the most hyped around I've been for MotoGP so far this season, outside of the opener because it's the opener but um, the way it is right now like there's a lot of question marks and i'm looking forward because i think like the european part of the calendar is a bit more representative of what we normally get in moto gps a bit like formula one in that sense where once you start getting to europe you start getting a better idea of, of, of you where know, how the field is playing out and the the first few races have been such crazy outliers that i don't know what the state of the field is at the moment so i think once we get past her and then into the european calendar proper with you know with le mans and then Catalunya I think we'll, we'll start getting a better idea of how the field is playing out. Um, but uh, i got nothing for you on this one apart from get on Pedrosa at 7-1. to one. That's all I'm saying. <sighs> yeah, King, King, what about you? I mean, Honda had a comfortable 1-2 last year
0: with Pedrosa and Marquez and Cal Crutchlow was confident he would have joined them had he not fallen off in that race. I mean, that, as Dre says, the big question around Pedrosa is just how fit is he? Um, because if he's fully fit, he's shown that he can win around here several times in the past, but... Yeah, we're still not really sure just how quick every various manufacturer-rider combination is, are we? Because of the first two races being so mixed up. We're still not really sure what we're dealing with.
2: Yeah, like, I I really don't feel confident in picking a winner. I would feel more confident in picking the riders who I think I would see in a top five. That is how unsure I am. (laughs)
1: Yeah,
0: it is very, very difficult to call. Dre mentioned the Yamaha riders. Um, if you go with the bookmaker that Dre himself works for, I know Dre cannot bet with them for obvious reasons. Um, <coughs> you can, you can get Maverick Vinales is ninety-two second favorite behind Marquez. You can get eight to one on Valentino Rossi to win this weekend. You can get twenty-fives on Zarco and Crutchlow. Um, to win this weekend, which, which looks very, very good to Crush me.
1: Load goes well around
0: here. Yeah, and um, tell you who else goes around there and it'll be a real shock. Jorge Lorenzo, 33-1 to 1, uh, this wow. weekend. Uh, wow. That's on the, an each-way shout. Yeah, he was on the podium last year on the Ducati. Um, so we'll see. Ducati are a team I'm going to be watching very closely this weekend, particularly Dovi, because um, I said on last week's show, I'm still <laughs> not sure whether Ducati have really made the steps from last year that we were hoping for in terms of being better around their weaker tracks. Um, because they weren't particularly strong in Argentina. They weren't particularly strong either um, in Texas, um, two of their weaker circuits last season. So will they be any better this weekend? Um, Dovi does not particularly like her, so we'll we'll see how he goes. Um, and also Yamaha, who had a dominant 1-2 here two years ago, Valentino Rossi leading home Jorge Lorenzo, and then they sank without trace last season on a very low-grip track surface. Now, with the surface being relayed this year, will we see Yamaha back up the front again? You'd have to expect um, that they will. So it is going to be a fascinating race weekend and maybe we'll get a true picture um, of what the 2018 MotoGP season is going to look like. Um, Andrea Di as I say, goes in with a one-point lead. Um, BSB are also in action this weekend. They are at Alton Park. Bradley Ray going, uh, well, seeking to try and extend his championship lead. Um, and we shouldn't be too surprised, Ray, if Bradley Ray is up the front this weekend because this was really the first circuit last year where we saw Bradley Ray arrive as a true front-running force in BSB.
1: Indeed, it was. Indeed, it was. I'm um, like in, in that showdown last year. I was like, "Oh, look, Bradley's here." Um, whoa, okay. Um, that was quite the crazy weekend in general. Was a showdown last year, but uh, yeah, once again, this was like the, the coming of age for Bradley Ray, and uh, now he's coming into this round arguably an even better rider now as championship leader, um, and a guy that you know was, was coming off that double victory in Donington and a pair of solid results uh, at brand touch in the Indy layout. So. Like it wouldn't surprise you if you, if I, if you had Bradley as favourite for the weekend, I wouldn't blame you if you did. I would, I'd expect Jay Dixon to be up there as well. He's also very strong at Olton Park as well. So this could be another um, round where like the guys that are lurking just in that showdown sort of area, the guys that are in that ballpark um, are going to come to play again. I think with the, the usual big boys. I think I think I, I think Haslam will be up there as well, quite because he, he loves Olton Park as well. That's going to be another one that's gonna that's going to be interesting too
0: yeah well we'll keep a close eye on that it's going to be a fascinating weekend racing as i mentioned takes place on bank holiday monday this weekend at alton park for the british superbike championship so uh yeah make sure you tune in on eurosport in the uk um for that let's see if uh, a number of the riders have recovered from their trip to Alton towers in time for this weekend um we'll we'll wait and see uh join us next week on episode 59 of bike live where we will uh, look back on everything that happened this weekend both at alton park and at Hareth as the MotoGP Championship returns to Europe. And the British Superbike Championship um, arrives at Alton Park for the first of two visits um, this season. Um, before we go, though, let's mark your card for next week. Not just here on Bike Life, but also Motorsport 101. Um, because it returns once again next week. Now... This might be famous last words here, guys, but I'm not expecting a double helping next week because
1: really, much like much, <laughs> but much, much
0: like bike live this week, we're in the kind of tricky spot where none of the triple crown that we cover on Motorsport One Hundred One are taking place this weekend. So, uh, short of RJ eulogising about a potential Fernando Alonso victory for Toyota at the uh, Six Hours of Spa, we oh, might be struggling. For <laughs>
2: King, um, you got any um, ideas for next week? <laughs> ooh, no, no. Like, we literally only have sports cars because I believe, besides six hours of spa, IMSA is going to be at Mid Ohio, and we, that's we, pretty we, much it. We, we're, we're not doing sports cars. I'll be forced to break <laughs> the
1: pair of you two's necks if we go to sports cars on a regular basis. I don't think it won't happen, King. I will Where's find this super you?
2: season hype. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it'll just be a fundraiser where we just try to raise funds to buy Cadillac DPI.
1: Yeah, like, yeah, wait. Yeah, I heard Wayne Taylor selling their Cadillac, and it's a it's a beautiful race car. It's like, so King, how much is in the uh, how much is in?
2: I've <laughs> i, I have no idea. Uh, back us on Patreon. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but we'll do it so we buy a prototype, but on seriousness, yet yeah, we'll probably do a little bit of
1: it. There's there, uh silly season no sorry super season um at the six hours of spa and we'll probably crack into the mailbag again just to pad it out for a bit because you know viewer questions are always fun ain't that right king yeah d-
2: don't kill us netherlands don't kill us look, yeah. the dutch the dutch love us they, they, they never all <laughs> that way right like I... listen listen like look, dutch
1: look, dutch fans. listen viewers if you hold off for next week, I will buy a Michael Van Gogh shirt, okay? i one with the people, okay? You know what? I might even get a Barney <laughs> shirt, because everybody loves Barney. So, you know what? We'll, we'll settle for that, okay? But eventually, we'll probably pull something out of our asses for episode 138 next week. Somehow, I don't think it'll be a doubleheader. Just, <laughs> just a hunch.
0: We shall see. Whatever happens, episode 138... He says, casually checking the uh, the list of episodes because we uh, we seem to add extra ones on episode 138 next week. Uh, on and episode 59 uh, of Bike Live to come as well as we break down the Monster GP and BSP action um, this weekend. Uh, my thanks to uh, Andre Harrison and to Ryan King at the last minute for joining us uh, this week. And thanks to all of you for listening in and downloading. The places you can find us between now and our next episodes, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. On Twitter, we are at motorsport underscore 101. Uh, On YouTube, it's youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Our website is motorsport101.net. And if you want to back us financially and earn yourself early access to both of our weekly shows, um, both Bike Live and Motorsport 101, then head to Patreon. patreon Patreon.com forward slash motorsport one oh one Backing us at the $5 level earns you early access to the podcast. Backing us at the $10 level earns you access to our Discord server where you can listen to these shows live. Bike Live actually, really up to its name now, now that it takes place in the Discord server. Um, as I said, my thanks to Andre Harrison and to Ryan Kick for joining me this week. We'll be back next week um, for another Helping of Bike Live and Monospot 101. Until then, from the three of us, it's goodbye.
2: Bye!
1: He had to get the awkward <laughs> buy in the
2: <That's Yep>. Brilliant. <laughs> That's magnificent.